All right, last weekend, we kicked off a new series, One Month to Live, and I introduce you to this little book by Pastor Carrie Shook and his wife, Chris, and uh, they serve a church in Texas. Many of you picked that book up, many more of you ordered it online. I hope you're enjoying reading it. But the whole premise of the book is that it certainly would change the whole focus, urgency, and probably quality of life if we really ask ourselves, what would be my priorities if I suddenly knew I had one month to live? Now, last week, we kicked it off by talking about living passionately. And certainly, if you've got only a few weeks left, that's no time to coast. That's a time you want to not just survive, you truly want to be thriving and living life to the full. But this week, our focus shifts a little bit. The second major section in this book happens to be love completely. Love completely. If you knew you had a month to live, I believe you'd be very, very concerned about expressing the love that you feel, the love that you have in your heart toward the people who matter the most. Now let me pose a question to you as we jump in today. If you could be a sort of fly on the wall at your own funeral, if you could kind of listen in to how you were being eulogized by those who knew you best, what would you want them to say? How would the obituary column read for you? Now, I want to read you a real obituary that appeared in the Times-Herald newspaper in Vallejo, California, some years ago. This is exactly what was printed in the newspaper. I've not changed a word. It says her full name at the top, and then it reads, Dor Dolores Aguilar was born in 1929 in New Mexico, and she died August 7, 2008. And I quote, Dolores had no hobbies, made no contribution to society, and rarely shared a kind word or deed in her life. I speak for the majority of her family when I say her presence will not be missed by many. Very few tears will be shed. There will be no lamenting over her passing. Her family will remember Dolores in our own way, which were mostly sad and troubling times throughout the years. We may have some fond memories of her, and perhaps we will think of those times too. But I truly believe at the end of the day, all, and all is in caps, all of us will really only miss what we never had, a good and kind mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother. I hope she's finally at peace with herself. As for the rest of us left behind, I hope this is the beginning of a time of healing and learning to be a family again. There will be no service, no prayers, and no closure for the family that she spent a lifetime tearing apart. So I say here for all of us, goodbye, Mom. Now that is what you would call brutal honesty. But it's actually kind of sad, isn't it? 
because it's too late now to make any change or any difference. I find myself wishing and, and hoping that, that some of this conversation had been had well before Dolores passed away. But you know when you boil it all down, you know what the one ingredient was, the one critical ingredient that that family was missing? It was genuine and authentic love that was truly and appropriately expressed. I don't know Dolores. I, I don't know her story. And I'm sure if we knew the secret story of her own pain, we might even have a different perspective on this. But I'll tell you this. One thing is for sure. Dolores failed to express love to her family in a way that they could really, really feel it. I wonder what we would do if we had a month to live. I wonder how it would change the way we express those, love to those we care most about. On one occasion in the Gospels, Jesus was approached by a man, and he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? I find that question very striking. By the way, that's the kind of question you would tend to ask if you had only one month to live. You, you kind of want to boil life down, re, reduce it down to what's most important. And this guy is thinking, wow, of all these 700 pages of the Old Testament, of these 613 or so laws that God has given us, Jesus, tell us now which is most important. Now, would you agree? That's not only a great question, but the answer to that question is super important. Because if God has revealed all these things to us that are important, and now we're going to get the creme de la creme, we're going to get the top, the super most important, I think we need to listen up. And here's how Jesus put it. As recorded in Mark's gospel, chapter 12, beginning in verse 30. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than these. Than these. Now, what has Jesus done? He's taken two quotations from scripture. Jesus did that a lot. And the first quotation here is from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. And the second quotation, the second greatest commandment, he says, is taken from Leviticus, chapter 19. Two commandments, he takes them, puts them together, and he says, this is it. There's nothing better, nothing more important than this. And that's the kind of thing we'd want to focus on if we knew we had only one month to live. What should our priority be? So let's break this down. Let's begin with the most important, the most foundational one, and that is love for God. Jesus said, first and foremost, we're to love God. Now, there's a word, and if you have your Bible open there, or if maybe you had memorized that verse previously, you'll note there's a word there, that appears over and over. In fact, it appears four times. Four times in that first verse we read. And if you take a quick glance at it, you know what that word is. It begins with A. It's the word all. 
It conveys this wholeheartedness, this completeness. We're we're not going to be half in. We're not going to be half committed on this. God is saying the most important thing here is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So let's break that down in the minutes that we have. First of all, what is this about loving with all your heart? We could call that, I suppose, a pure love. A pure love. Here's why that's important. When we talk about the heart, usually I think we think of emotions. We speak of heartaches or being broken hearted or that broke my heart. We think of it emotionally. But when God says here, love with all your heart, it doesn't so much have to do with the emotions, I think, as character. He's talking about the purity of the love we have. It's interesting, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1.5, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Pure and sincere is the love that God's looking for. Solomon writes about the heart in Proverbs 4 when he says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Now, brothers and sisters, if we're to love God with all of our heart, that is a tall order because we have so many things in this life that threaten to attack our love for God, so many impurities that seem to want to contaminate it. Max Lucado wrote, we too easily open up the doors of our heart. Anger shows up and the doors open. Revenge needs a place to stay, so we have him pull up a chair. Pity wants to have a party, so we show him the kitchen. Lust rings the bell, and we change the sheets on the bed. With everything attacking our heart and fighting to get in, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. But understand this, he only wants in if he can have your heart to himself. Let me ask you. How would you characterize your heart today? Is your love for God a pure love? Robert Boyd Munger was an amazing pastor of the University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington for many years. And he did a lot of great things. He did a lot of great teaching. But he's best known probably for a little booklet, actually. It started as a sermon, believe it or not. I have a copy of it here in my hand. You can actually get by this uh, online. The Billy Graham team gave out millions, and I mean millions of these throughout the years as we worked with people in discipleship. My Heart Christ Home is the name of it. I want to read you just a bit of it because I think it speaks to this topic powerfully that we're talking about. Unger writes, one evening I invited Jesus into my heart. What an entrance he made. It was not a spectacular emotional thing, but very real. Something happened at the very center of my life. He came into the darkness of my heart and turned on the light. He built a fire on the hearth and banished the chill. He started music where there had been stillness. And he filled the emptiness with his own loving, wonderful fellowship. I've never regretted opening the door to Christ, and I never will. In the joy of this newfound relationship, I said to Jesus Christ, Lord, 
I want this heart of mine to be yours. I want to have you settle down here and be perfectly at home. Everything I have belongs to you. Let me show you around. And the booklet goes on with this analogy of our heart being Christ's home. And how this man then invites Christ into every room of the house. It's just marvelously written, very poetic, fantastic. But then you come toward the end of the book, and there's been a lot of wonderful things that have gone on. It's been mostly pleasant, although some things have been challenging. But toward the end, it says, one day I found him, that is Christ, waiting for me at the door. There was an arresting look in his eye, and he said to me as I entered, there's a peculiar odor in the house. Uh, something is dead around here. It, it's upstairs. I'm sure it's in the hall closet. As soon as he said the words, I knew what he was talking about. Yes, there was a small hall closet up there on the landing, just a few feet square. In that closet behind lock and key, I had one or two little personal things that I did not want Christ to see. I knew they were dead and rotting things, and I, I wanted them so for myself that I was afraid to admit that they were there. I, I went up with him, and as we mounted the stairs, the odor became stronger and stronger. He pointed to the door. I was angry. That's the only way I can put it. I had given him access to the library, the dining room, the drawing room, the workshop, the playroom, and now he's asking me about a little two-by-four closet? I said inwardly, this is too much. I'm not going to give him the key. Said he, reading my thoughts, if you think I'm going to stay up here on the second floor with this odor, you're mistaken. I'll go out on the porch. I saw him start down the stairs. My resistance collapsed. When one comes to know and love Christ, the worst thing that can happen is to sense his companionship withdrawing. I had to surrender. I, I'll give you the key, I said sadly, but you'll have to open up the closet and clean it out. I haven't the strength to do it. Just give me the key, he said. Authorize me to take care of that closet, and I will. With trembling fingers, I passed the key to him. He took it walked over to the door, opened it, entered, took out all the putrefying stuff that was rotting there and threw it away. Then he cleaned the closet and painted it. It was done in a moment. Oh, what victory and release to have that dead thing out of my life. A thought came to me, Lord, is there any chance that you would take over the management of the whole house and operate it for me as you did that closet? Would you take the responsibility to keep my life what it ought to be? His face lighted up as he replied, certainly. <laughs> That's what I want to do. You cannot be a victorious Christian in your own strength. Let me do it through you and for you. That's the way. But he added slowly, I'm just a guest. I have no authority to proceed since the property is not mine. Dropping to my knees, I said, Lord, you've been a guest, and I've been the host, but from now on, I'm going to be the servant. You're going to be the Lord. Running as fast as I could to the strong box, I took out the little deed to the house, describing its properties, assets, and liabilities. I eagerly signed the house over to him alone for time and eternity. Here, I said, here it is. All that I am and have 
forever. Now you run the house. I'll just remain with you as a servant and friend. Things are different since Jesus Christ has settled down and made his home in my heart. If you had a month to live, wouldn't you want to know that Christ was truly Lord of the house, Lord in your heart, and that you had a pure love? Secondly, Jesus said, love God with all your soul, a passionate love. Now, since we spent so much time on that last week, I'm just going to mention it here in a cursory way. But how would you assess the, the passion of your love? You say, but pastor, how, how do I know if I'm loving passionately? Passionately. Has the holy become humdrum? Has the greatest story ever told become the greatest story never told? Do you never get goosebumps anymore when you think about God and what he's done for you? Does it never touch your emotions any longer? Jesus is looking for our love for him to revitalize our prayer life and revolutionize our living. And so I would simply say to you, If your passion, the passion of your love has waned, the place to go is to your knees in prayer. And to ask God to give you a fresh love for him, a love that nothing can equal, that nothing could surpass. Third, Jesus goes on to say, love the Lord with all your mind. I believe we could call that a a prudent love. You know, some people actually have the crazy notion, it's ridiculous, but the crazy notion that when you come to church or come to Christ, you check your brain at the door. Boy, I'll tell you, in my experience, nothing could be further from the truth. My walk with Christ has challenged me to be all in with my mind. And I respect those women and men who keep loving the Lord with their mind all of their life. You've heard me mention probably a couple dozen times Bill Romer, a dear brother who was an elder and a leader in the church. And one of the reasons I respected Bill so much is that he kept loving God with his mind even into his 80th year when he passed away. He was still growing, still learning, still reading, still stretching, still leading small groups, still asking those tough theological questions. Let me ask you, does that characterize you? The Bible says in 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Can you tell what you believe and why you believe it? 1 Peter 2.2 says, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. God wants us to be growing and our understanding and loving him with our mind. 2 Peter 3.18 says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But how? Pastor, how can I love God with my mind? Can I just tell you quickly? Every time you, with love for God in your heart, memorize a verse of Scripture and just commit it to memory, you're loving God with your mind. 
Every time you read a book like this book or any other book that can give you better understanding of Scripture and of God and of how God has designed this world, you're loving God with your mind. Every time you prepare a lesson for a small group or for a midweek class or for a conversation with someone, you're loving God with your mind. Every time you listen carefully to a sermon or a teaching from God's word and you seek to understand and apply, you're loving God with your mind. Now, I don't know if we can honestly rank these or which ones we're doing best with today and, and which are the least. But I would suggest to you that probably most Christians I know today probably are struggling the most with loving God with their mind. And I think that's tragic. Because the Bible makes very clear, 2 Corinthians eleven three, 3, Paul says, I'm afraid lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Often, the drift begins right here. We need Christians who know what they believe and why, Christians who love God with their minds, Christians who daily pursue growth in grace and knowledge. Oh, I wish I had more time with that. That is a passion for me. But fourth, Jesus said we're to love God with all of our strength. It's to be a powerful love, a love that gets into action. 1 John 3.18 says, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions. So when we use the ability, the gifts, the talents, the opportunities God has given us to serve and to grow, listen, we're loving God with all of our strength. The Bible says in 1 Peter 4, verses 9 and 10, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him or her do so as by the strength which God supplies. And it goes on to tell us what will happen when we do that. As we love God with all of our strength in actions, God gets the glory. How are we doing? If you had one month to live, would it be said of you, wow, she really loved God with all of her strength? I want to tell you, that woman, she was amazing. I want to tell you, that man, that man, he lived what he taught. His life backed up his walk. His walk backed up his talk. Would that be said of you? Would it be said of me? Now, why do we serve? 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. God's the initiator and the modeler of all this. Jesus made his mission clear in Mark 10, 45, when he said, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the question we ask first today is, how are we doing loving God with our mind? That's kind of if you will, the vertical dimension of all this. But are you ready? Are you ready, dear friends? 
God has called us not to just live in a vertical dimension where it's just all about me and God, just God and me. Don't bother me with anybody else now. We just God and me. We got our own little thing going here. It's really cool. He's my buddy. He's the big man upstairs. God and me. We got our own thing going. No. God says, if you really love me, there's going to be this other thing that goes on. You're going to love others. So let's talk about that dimension for just a few minutes. We've talked about loving God. Now let's talk about loving others. Let me put it to you this way. You can love others without loving God, but you cannot love God without loving others. Some of you missed that. Let me say it one more time. It's super important. Trust me. That's an important statement because that is sort of a summary of what the Lord revealed in the little book called 1 John. That's the whole point of that book. You can love others without loving God. You really can But you cannot love God without loving others, without it spilling out, showing in practical ways. Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. So let me ask, if you had a month to live, wouldn't you want to do something about that? I mean, really? Man, I tell you, I wouldn't be sitting on my hands. If I had a month to live, I'd want to be asking the question, is the love that I have for God splashing out and pouring out onto some other people? Paul puts it like this in the book of Romans, chapter 12. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. And then he turns a little corner here, which becomes interesting. Because everything he said to this point could kind of be applied to brothers and sisters in Christ, to those those that kind of love you back, really. They're nice to you. It's easy to love them. And then he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. William Barclay, speaking of that, said, evil for evil is man's way. Evil for good is the devil's way, but good for evil is God's way. If you knew you had a month to live, what would you do? Would you call somebody up? Would you want to have a conversation? Maybe an apology. Maybe asking for forgiveness, possibly. Would you want to kind of mend a, mend a relationship? Or maybe on a more positive note, maybe you'd want to call up an old coach. Had a huge impact in your life and say, Coach, I just got to tell you, I never told you maybe, but just want you to know how God used you in my life. Or, would you want to call up a, a teacher? Teachers almost never get thanked. They spend hours and hours pouring into students. Almost never does somebody come back and go, thank you. You have no idea how your teaching, and sometimes it's true, your character has helped shape my own life, and thinking. What would you do? Remember that old song, Everything I Own? Boy, this is going way back. Is there someone you know, you're loving them so, but taking them all for granted? You may lose them someday. Someone takes them away, and they don't hear the words you long to say. So if you had a month to live, I I think you'd want to Act. I think you'd want to do something to show your love. So I want to give you a homework assignment. And since I'm a really, really nice teacher, 
I'm going to give you options, okay? I'm seriously challenging you to do one of these two things this week. Here, this is like a homework assignment. We believe the Bible is written not just to fill our heads with knowledge, but to change our lives, and we, we need to act. We need to, to act as though we had one month to live. Here's the first option. Maybe you would want to write a letter. I'm asking hundreds, I mean hundreds and hundreds of you to take this option this week and sit down and write a letter. You can do an email if you want to, but a a letter, an email, sometimes just old-fashioned snail mail is even more powerful when you actually put pen to to paper and, and just write it out. That's even more meaningful sometimes. And maybe you'd want to write to a family member or a friend, tell them what they mean. Maybe write to that mentor from the past or that person who's meant so much to you. Just take 5, 10, 15 minutes and do it. Show your love and appreciation. It may not be your last month to live, but you know what? It could be theirs. Don't neglect to say what you'd want to say if you had a month to live. Now, if you don't like that option, here's another one. A second option for this homework assignment could be to show love to someone who's not expecting it. First option, write a letter to communicate your love. Second, show love to someone who's not expecting it. I'm speaking here now primarily about an act of service. Do something for someone, even someone that's not a friend or family member, someone that would never expect this from you. Now, as you do this act of service, you may feel awkward. So here, you can blame it on me. Say, my silly preacher, I tell you, he's got this series going on. He's asking us to do something, you know, nice. So I'm doing it. You can blame it on me just to get rid of the awkwardness. Or you can say, you know, I'm a Christ follower and I'm trying to grow in my ability to encourage others. So I just hope this is an encouragement to you. But please don't wig people out when you do this service thing. If you choose this option, don't wig people out and go up to someone of the opposite sex who happens to be attractive and go, oh, you're an attractive person of the opposite sex with no ring on your finger. I would like to serve you in Jesus' name with a holy kiss. Don't do that. You mess it up for all of us when you do that. Now, if you really want extra credit for this assignment, I tell you, these are the people I respect who don't do this as just a special project every now and then, but actually live lives of service. I'll tell you, the heroes and heroines to me in the church are the people who serve in kids' celebration, the people who lead small groups, the people who lead a ministry of some kind in the church and week after week after week just keep showing up, keep coming back. And if you want your life to really matter, if you want to live as though you had a month to go and make a difference, sign up for one of those ministries. Go to your pastor, go to your lead pastor, go to the information center in your lobby and say, listen, I want to make a difference. I want to serve and give back. Christ is saying, get out of your comfort zone.
Now, I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but many funeral homes, excuse me, many newspapers, probably funeral homes too, actually, but many funeral homes will actually receive obituaries early, you know, written obituaries. They don't mind at all because it, it actually takes one more thing off the plate of the family uh, so they don't have to do that once their loved one dies and, and they're so frantic and, and in shock. And so you could actually send it in early. Now I want you to imagine that Dolores, whose obituary we started with, imagine that her family had done that and submitted that to the newspaper where it eventually appeared, the Times-Herald, and she saw a copy of it early, some months before she passed. What do you think she would have done? Do you think she would have been mad? Do you think she would have lashed out? Or do you think maybe it could be a grace moment? A moment for conversation, a moment to change. I don't know. I've seen both. But I know one thing it all comes down to love. In his book, One Month to Live, Carrie Shook and his wife, Chris, write Your problem is not that you don't love God enough. It's that you don't understand how much he loves you. If you could grasp just a little bit of how much God loves you, you'd surrender all areas of your life to him. God would have given up his son to come and die on the cross if you had been the only one on this earth. And that is absolutely true. Many of you know the name of Stephen Curtis Chapman, one of the most respected men in the Christian music industry, a Dove Award winner, Grammy Award winner. Back in 2008, he and his wife and their family had a devastating experience. No doubt many of you heard about this. By the way, I understand that Stephen Curtis Chapman is, I've never met him, but I understand he's one of the most humble Christian artists you'd ever meet. But in May of 2008, their son, Will Franklin, was coming home in his truck, driving to their farm just outside of Nashville, Tennessee, and one of their daughters, little Maria, five years old, one of the three they had adopted from China, was so excited to see her older brother coming home early, she ran out. Now, he was driving slowly and responsibly, but he just didn't see her run out, and he hit his little five-year-old sister. In the aftermath and the shock of that moment as the family was attending to Maria, Will Franklin, in shock himself, just began to run, just began to run to try to, try to get away from it all. And his older, very perceptive older brother started running after him, finally just tackled him and kind of literally just kind of sat on him to try to calm him down and, and sang with him and prayed with him and just held him until they was finally okay and they just walked back together to the house. Now, parents, I don't think we can even imagine what is going on in the heart and mind of the Chapman family 
in that moment. You have one child dying in your arms and another who's consumed with guilt over something that wasn't his fault but is going to impact their family forever. When Stephen Curtis Chapman later appeared on Larry King Live and Good Morning America, he explains what happened in those poignant moments. Chapman says, uh, they were speeding out of their driveway, pulling out to, to speed to the hospital. He said, I saw my son Will so distraught and upset. And so I leaned out the window and yelled, Will Franklin, your father loves you. Chapman continues, because at that moment I was pretty certain I was going to lose one of my children and I didn't want to lose two that day. Well, Stephen reminded his son of an earthly father's love. Whether you've got one month to live or 50 years, I want to remind you of a heavenly father's love. I want you to know if you'd been the only one, Christ would have come to earth to die for you. And no matter where you are today, whether you're just exploring Christ or whether you're a true believer who may be in a, a drift or a backslidden state, no matter how many messes you've been a part of, no, no matter how many things, tragedies you've been involved in, I would want you to know there's a God who went to incredible lengths to show his love. You say, how do you know? Pastor, how do you know that? Because when you send your one and only son to die on a cross, there's no love that's going to trump or supersede that. That's, that's how I know. And as Jesus hangs from a cross, he shouts, Will Franklin, your father loves you very much. David Lee, your father loves you very much. Juanita Susan, Jamal Isaac, Carrie Lynn, Sawyer Grace, Robert Thomas, your father loves you. And if you ever forget that or ever start to doubt that, just look at a cross because it's an eternal reminder of the love that God has for you. My question to you in closing is do you love him back? He loves you. There's no doubt about it. But do you love him? Boy, that's one of the questions you better settle if you've got a month to live. And do you love him completely? Are you showing that love to others? So as we close, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I wonder if on the count of three, I know that many people don't like their middle name. But I wonder if you would be willing just to say out loud right here the presence of God and everybody your first and middle name, just your first and middle name as I count to three. Would you be willing to do that? Just say it out loud. Don't be timid about it. Don't mumble it under your breath. Say your first and middle name out loud on the count of three. Are you ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Your father loves you very much. Amen.
Father, thank you for your amazing love. If we ever doubt it, if we ever begin to question the depth, the immensity of your love, may we remember what you did at the cross. You lost your son there, but you don't want to lose two children. You won't give up on us, Lord, because you love us completely. And thank you that because you died there on that cross, we don't have to ever be lost. And thank you that you'll never give up on us. Oh, we love you for that. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the ushers. <laughs>